Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Chris Ridgway, architect and principal located in Half Moon Bay, California. Chris has opened his office in 1984 and has designed well over 250 buildings in the Bay Area and is a University of California at Berkeley graduate, as well as a licensed architect with projects throughout San Francisco Bay Area and California. For more information, feel free to visit www.crarchitect.com. Dot net. That's www.crarchitect.net. Hello, Chris. We're excited and honored to have you on the Modern Architect Radio Show. It's great you to bring it here to my living room. Yeah, we did. Wonderful. Yeah, yes. We're happy to be here. You have uh, an outstanding, for our audience, you're free to go to the website and see uh, Chris's office and home. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. Chris, can you share with us uh, some early experience or some of your early inspirations as to how you became an architect, how you do what you do? If you can kind of look back for a moment and see when uh, this all began. You know, I was really fortunate. I was always curious as a kid, and I had a great mother. And so I would get interested in something or designing something and, you know, a tent or, you know, a a skateboard contraption or Uh whatever. And she encouraged me to keep notebooks, and I have had those notebooks ever since I'm nine. So I have this whole series of kind of 30 notebooks that, that go through it and... And I just just happened to read the forward to the to the very first one when I was yes. nine, and I said I wasn't. It said I wasn't sure if I got the idea from Leonardo da Vinci or not to do the notebooks. But <laughs> I'm sure it was my mother's help. That, really? In retrospect, I mean, and so it was fine. It was great the, that she found something I loved to do, and then you know things that I didn't like to do, you know, reading or writing. All that kind of followed because you have this passion, and then you now you have to learn to draw, okay, and then you have to draw better and do perspectives, or you have to write about your work. Mm-hmm. And so, it was a great way to be excited about what I was doing, and then it, it led to being an architect. And on top of it, you know, when I, you know, I like designing anything from furniture, and and but architecture just was so big, and and it's so neat to be able to do something on that scale. And I think that I kind of gravitated to architecture from that kind of early beginning. 
and the other funny thing about going through those notebooks is a lot of them are how to get out of housework. That I have automatic <laughs> automatic floor waxing machines because obviously, you know, and then and then obviously we had to water all these million <laughs> pots that, that we had around the house and, and so I'd have canal systems that would go take water from one pot to the next and stuff. So all these kind of things coming out of my childhood. And That's then, terrific. And then one other note, my parents were both avid gardeners and I can remember just thinking, Oh my God, all we have to do is pick the snails off and water them and fertilize them and deadhead them. And I, I, and I remember going up to my dad and I go, I hate flowers. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> Did you really? You literally recall saying that. <laughs> I remember saying it. And it's so funny. You know, my parents are gone, but then I have this huge garden now. You oh, know, yes. And, and I go to the nursery now and I can remember going to the nursery with my mom and thinking, can't this woman make up her mind? <laughs> You know, and now I spend hours, you know, just like she did, you know. So, so she's in, she's in my garden. You might, yeah. You know, so, anyhow. yeah, definitely. That's that's terrific. That's a great story. So, what what led you to look into architecture? You know, I, I saw a friend the other day, and that I went to high school with, and she said, "Chris, you're the only one that's done what they said they were going to do in high school." And so it kind of brought it back to me. I was fairly interested in architecture in high school, but there wasn't really any curricula to pursue it. But then I had these kind of notebooks, and then I built a lot of models and stuff. I knew by the time I was starting high school that I wanted to be an architect. So high school? Yeah. And also, a lot of people ask me, you know, because I draw well, did was it just a natural talent? No, it really wasn't. It was something I really had the strong desire to do. And so, you know, I learned how to do it so I could express these ideas I have. And it's done me a good stead all my life. Yes. Yeah, so do you have uh, in your notebooks, were you continuing that even in, obviously in high yeah, school I, as well? I do. I mean, uh, I have notebooks and then I kind of categorize the notebooks. I've always used three ring notebooks so I can take subjects that maybe that I drew something on an idea 20 years ago and and then I, I get another idea on top of that, and I'll put it together so the notebooks kind of make some sort of okay. sense. They're not just a hodgepodge of jumping yeah. all over the place. So, and, so it, and then I do refer to them. So, I mean, if I get a project or I get an idea, then I'll go back, and, and they're well enough organized that I usually can find what I want. Or, you know, it's amusing what you find sometimes. So, and it's also, you know, one of the few advantages of getting older besides having old friends, is that you get to have these kind of strange collaborations with your younger self. Like I cleaned out a closet the other day and I found a watercolor that I had stopped and because it just wasn't working. And now, you know, I paint digitally and all these things. And so I photographed it and scanned it and put it in and finished the painting. And, and I could probably do watercolors in my 20s better than I can do now, but we didn't have the technology that I used today to finish the painting. So there's this kind of really neat collaboration between when you were young and, and the experience you have, and you're, you're young, you're kind of naive, but, and so you have more experiences older, and you can say, well, that wouldn't really work now, I see it. But it was also, you know, it's just a process of exploration. Yeah. We've, one of the architects we've had on our show, and I can't recall who said it, and I think it was actually reinforced by a couple of them, so I'm not sure who said it, but it said that in the 40, their 40s and 50s is when they actually started hitting their stride in architecture. I have another friend who's an architect, and, and maybe he said it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you interviewed him, but but he, he says that you know a lot of professions you kind of burn out by the time you're 60, and, and he said <laughs> that a lot of architects, you know, it takes so long. To, there's so many things you need to know, you know, from construction to psychology and how people live in a space sure. and how to design. And then also the tools that we use, like now with our CAD programs, are so complicated 
it's really great to be, kind of be at this age and have all these tools and enough background to draw off of. So I have friends ask me, am I going to retire? And I'm like, no, I'm doing what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I can I do it better than I did when I was younger. Um, some oh. ways, some ways. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. Like how, some, how are some of the ways that you, uh, you do them better? Is it a speed factor or no, just a, an execution? Yeah, I think we're talking more about creativity. And, and so I think that uh, it takes a lot of experience to know what will work and what will not and how you can build things and whether this wood will rot or deteriorate or how to do all that. So it takes a lot of time to really understand that well. And since a lot of my work likes to kind of push the envelope, then I've got to really think about you know things that normally are just done and they're done all the time and you don't have to worry about them but as soon as you go away from the norm you have to really think about all these things and and so having you know 40 years of experience and part of, partly experience is there's a saying experience is something you get just after you need it you know <laughs> Say yeah. that again? Experience is... something you get just after you need it. Okay. And so there is a bit of that, you know, where you do something and you learn from it. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then you can apply it later. Yeah. How are some of the projects you're doing now, if you're at liberty to share, utilizing a lot of those experiences? Well, we're doing a whole bunch of new houses right now. So I, I like all the work I'm, I've got in my office. It's really great. And we're getting to the point where we're getting a little picky, you know, where we can afford to turn down jobs and so we can kind of do what we want. So I'm just really kind of fortunate to, to have really great clients that that uh, want to build these things. And we'll talk more probably down the line about how I design and that sort of thing. But How are the clients? Do you have many for over the years or do you reach out to them or how? Yeah, we probably have a dozen clients a year roughly. And then, you know, when you work that hard for somebody and you do a good job, they're usually very friendly and they become friends. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. much is, is the client involved with the process or if, you, if you've ever quantified the percentage of the client involvement in your work? You know, my work is very varied because every client's different. Okay. So I want my clients to be really involved. It's the most money they'll ever spend on themselves. And it can be a real headache. There's a lot to do. But it's also a really exciting thing to mold a space around their dreams and their desires. So it's really great with work with them that way. Yeah. Now, how is that working with when you when you first meet with your clients and it, it, it's their dream? Yeah. You um, mean, it, it's like almost no other profession. There, there's kind of a duality to what I do. One hand, you have to listen really careful to what your clients say. And then you have to not be able to ignore it, but be able to not be limited by what they mentioned. And I don't, I'm not one of those architects that try to push my designs on them. Invariably, you're going to run into problems. You can try to run over a client for a while, but sooner or later they get mad and then they change it in construction and they wreck it all and stuff. So, you know, I work really, really hard to make the house that they will want. Now, often what I have to do is somebody comes to me and it's, it's like a dream, their idea. They've been thinking about it for 20 years and this is going to work out really great. And, and so what I have to do is draw it up, even if it's hideous, draw it up so they can actually see that they don't really know how it looks. They may know the floor plan works well or they may not realize some of the structural problems they've created. And then what I'll do is do alternates to that. If you don't really address what they specifically said, they're always going to hang on to that dream that that if only Chris Ridgway had really listened, <laughs> that they would have had the house they wanted. Okay. So, so that's the kind of duality of, of where you you listen really carefully, 
but you don't be limited by what they do, but you do enough work to kind of give them options. So they're involved, and they kind of make the decisions where they want. So if they have three or four different ideas, they can get involved in it. So that's key to it, is making, is you're, you're always working for somebody else, and you're always trying to make them happy, and that's the way I try to do that. Yeah, how do you balance that out with your work life and your own per- personal life? You might know in your home and office, beautiful home and office, you have sculptures and paintings. Is that, how do you weave that into your practice or if you don't is it yeah no you know i'm also an artist and a sculptor and an architect and you do kind of find friends that that have some of these common interests you know uh, some of my best friends are artists and and other architects and and so it's nice when you're spending that time to that you kind of you're kind of immersed in, in it now i obviously have other friends that we don't i'm sorry but you don't fit the right category we can't be friends <laughs> but but it does help the other thing is i i've had a bad back and so it's always been hard for me to commute so what i've done is i've moved my office to my house and and so often I'll start early and then I'll take a break and go have coffee with somebody and, and then, you know, I'll work late. And it's not like I'm tied. I don't go to an office and sit down and, and just work all day. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to have the variety. And, and the same thing kind of happens. A lot of my clients need to meet on the weekends or on the, in the evening. So you want to accommodate what they can do. And so the, the hours become a little bit more like you're in college. I mean, that you got to get the work done. And so you got to have a good work ethic to do it. But it isn't just like I start at nine and I end at five. Yeah. What's the inspiration or what were many of the inspirations for your home that's so like none other? And <laughs> I know, know we're on radio. Too bad this but, is on radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, well, we're sitting in my living room, which is round. I really wanted to make it round from the standpoint that everybody could sit. You can get a dozen people on these round couches. They're all facing each other. Everybody's equal. No one's in the corner. And it's great if you're playing music or you're sharing, you know, art or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the, the inspiration in a way for this particular room. It also, I don't have a, a view on my property. And so I've created this kind of big, gorgeous garden here. And then I've opened up, you know, on this room that I say is round. It's actually nine sided. I've opened up the windows to that garden and with French doors that kind of flow in and out. And so those are part of the reason, and with this particular space, about the logic of what, what, what I do. We all as architects are trying to problem solve and, and figure out those basic things, but it, the much more elusive thing and, and difficult thing is that how are you going to make it look beautiful? And there is no prescription for that. But as I designed this room here, then I put a similar turret in the front, but it's smaller. And then I tied a lot of things together. So there's a lot of logical reasons why you do things, but a lot of it's also this kind of subjective that you're trying to make this whole, it's like you're God and you're making this animal. You want it, you don't want it all to be the same, you know, but, but you want it all to go together. And I, I, I'm going to veer into modern architecture critique for just a second. When I, sure. when I grew up, you know, modern architecture was all the rage and all your professors were modernists and, and it was kind of like, you know, everything went together because everything was square and everything was rectilinear. But when I use this metaphor about comparing, you know, God doing an animal, it isn't like the face matches the back of the head. It's just they all go together. And so anyhow, that's often how I look at, you know, when you're trying to create something, that it's all got to work together, but different parts have different functions. So they're going to look different and act different, but they still, you know, look the same, like it all goes together. Yeah. You're listening to the Modern Architect Radio Show on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. 
Did you know that a study found an average of three pieces of trash along every foot of Bay Area streams leading into the bay? The trash you drop in the street can end up in the San Francisco Bay or the ocean where it can kill wildlife such as seals, seabirds, and turtles. Join with more than 50,000 Save the Bay supporters, advocates, and volunteers to protect our bay and make it cleaner and healthier for people and wildlife. Please visit savesfbay.org. We're talking today with Chris Ridgway, architect located in beautiful Half Moon Bay, California. For more information, feel free to visit www.crarchitect.net. That's crarchitect.net. Again, Chris, what kind of projects are you working on? Or do you have some favorites? You don't have to say names, <laughs> but, but uh, some, some favorites. You, you try fa- to treat all your children uh, equally, you know. But, I love that, but, children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but certainly, yeah. And as I said before, you're always trying to make your clients' dreams come true. It's very tempting as a designer to say, well, the house would look great, but then the client did this and they did that. And, you know, frankly, that's part of your job is how to make them happy, but still how to pull everything together so it's a great building. That's kind of how I view that. Yeah. How long have you been a practicing architect? Since since 1984, so it's like, you know, okay. so cost track, 36 years. I mean. Did you begin on your own? You, or uh, You know, you have to apprentice in the state of California, sure. or that's one of the routes to do. And I worked for an architect named Bill Churchill. And I made really great friends. Um, I'm still f- great friends with all those guys that I, and gals that I worked with. Yeah. So, yeah. Did that still influence you to this day, even in your work? You know, or did you really I, veer I, off? I, on I really. You asked me if I earlier, if I'm better architect now. I always, from a very early age, had a really clear vision that I just didn't want to copy other architects work and that I want to explore different forms and and have kind of fun and playing with the structure and and that certainly wasn't the modern architecture that I talked about before of my youth and mm-hmm. and so I've always had that kind of very you go back to my early sketches they're often you know how can we bend or warp this or change it and still build it and so you know that you know it's often in my approach yeah how how about that that independence how much is uh, dealing with the business or administrative facets of, of being a practicing architect and how much is actually design and, you know, and thinking? I'm really fortunate, and I wish I had my partner to, here to, to introduce. Uh, Ludwig Galvan has been with me for 30 of the years that I've been an architect. And it's a great collaboration because he does all the things that I don't want to do and does them well and keeps things running, and then that allows me to a little more the artist to do what I like to do. And, yeah. But it's crucial, obviously, to practice that you do both well. And it's great when you can hire somebody that's around long enough that knows exactly what to do. Yes. How did you find You know, you know I just, you I just uh, I, the AIA had a job board and I put up an ad and he responded. That was 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And Ludwig is still here. That's exactly. Great. Yeah. That's great. So you're on the, on the coast. Do you do many homes, a lot of homes on the coast or no? Yeah. Our practice, we used to have our office over in Foster City. And so I'd say about half my practice is in the peninsula, half of it's on the coast. And then, of course, we do work in between, like on Skyline and then sometimes more far ranging projects. But it's really 
different clientele, obviously, if you're doing something in Hillsboro and to, compared to Half Moon Bay. And I really kind of, I've kind of like that. I'm, I, I don't want to really just be an architect for the super rich. Although it's nice when I get those commissions, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's, it's, it's nice to have that variety of places you work and all your work kind of comes through referrals. So you do a good job in one place, and then you get more work there. Yeah. So I'm yeah. looking at it in your home and I'm seeing your sculptures. Is this something that you're uh, always working on or is like, ah, I used to work on it five months ago, but I haven't had time. Yeah. Well, uh, a friend of mine came up that I've known since high school and, he said, that, you know, I'd forgotten this, but he said, oh, we were always said we were going to sculpt each other's heads. The hardest, the hardest problem is <laughs> getting a model to sit there, but then when you're both there looking at each other, it worked out great. So any, anyhow, um, last week I was sculpting my friend's Mark's, Mark's head that I've known pretty well since, you know. Do you have I've known, it? it's, it's, I hate to say it, his head's in the back in a bag. <laughs> sounds terrible, but you, you can't let the clay dry out, you know. So. His head's in the bag. Oh, yeah, so how, how's that even going back when you have high school? Do you talk, do you reminisce a bit or no? You just always start with something new. We talked about getting older earlier. It's, it's great to have old friends that you really know and trust and love you and, and always have your back. And, you know, it's, it's one of the great things. You know about you know living long enough to have that. So, so do we certainly give each other a hard time about things we did in the past? Sure, but it isn't all <laughs> these old men sitting around the table, you know, talking about their glory days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no. it sounds so. like your glory days are still ahead. No, really, One can only hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, they, they, yeah, they are like that. Chris, where else do you draw inspiration from, or is it you kind of on the the clients' requests? Let's see. Or they get provide it for I, I, you. I do draw a lot for nature and look at you know things that are nature and organic, and certainly Frank Lloyd Wright did that, and Antonio Gaudi did that, and and so that is one thing. If you look at kind of how I design, one hand it's kind of a little bit left brain and right brain. You look at logically what you need to do and how you're going to solve that problem, but then you have to somewhat break these molds of logic. You can have a temptation to make the same decisions over and over again, thinking that, that those are the only decisions to be made. So frequently, you know, when I'm designing or something, I'll knock over a set of blocks and look and see, does it inspire me? Or if I crumple up a piece, I'll take something almost random and then say, like, if I took this, you know, a bottle or something, and then I say, well, maybe I should make all the walls transparent, or maybe I should make the lid come off the bottle. Okay, maybe that I can take these kind of ideas in some ways have nothing to do with what I'm working on, and but they, they may bring me to a solution that isn't all done over and over again, mm-hmm. thinking that's the only solution there is. So then you, you might look at the bottle and say, well, gee, then I could turn it sideways. Maybe I should do a barrel vault or something, or maybe I should have a big glass window here. And then you, and you kind of plug it into your design. And designing is a little bit like evolution. You keep on throwing ideas that fail, you know, and then so, but well, you're, you're only trying to get one of the ideas to make it to the end to be really good. And, and as a result, what I tell my draftsmen and associates is that you really, your trash can's your best friend. You want to, <laughs> you want to develop stupid ideas that may lead to something great, knowing that you don't need to show that to the client. I mean, and so that is a little bit of my design process is one looking logically and then also breaking those kind of chains of logic that, that lock you into doing the same thing again and again because you did it before. Yeah. What's your take on this discovery? Versus create, or it doesn't have to be adversarial, but like 
do you think one discovers more than one creates or they, they kind of work together? It's not a trick question or yeah. right or wrong answer, <laughs> but I'm curious to your response yeah, you to know, discovery or create. Do you discover or do you create? I do both. Both, and, okay. And, and, you know, when you have a design problem, whether it's designing a toaster or, you know, a piece of furniture or clothing or something, you have criteria that you're trying to solve. And so you're trying to design something to do that. But often, you know, when I go and I look, pick up a shell on the beach or something, then I might take a look at the structure of that shell and I discover it. Now, maybe later on I can take those two ideas and put them together. Or maybe that process I talked about being a logical that I might grab something that I find really interesting or beautiful and say, is there something I can incorporate that into that? So it's a matter of both. And it's always to be problem solving is a little bit daunting. So it's sometimes really nice to pick up something and see where this chain of ideas, where this flow comes out of this idea and see what might, you know, might make an interesting structural system and just kind of see where the idea goes. And they're very different, but I like doing both. And and so uh, I do both. Yeah, you do both on that. Yes, yeah, a question. It's curious because there's so much creativity in your home and your gardens, and yet there's a lot of discovery that you're talking about. Far from the norm. If you don't mind, let's touch back on that again. You said that you want to do something far from the norm. Is it just kind of your, in your DNA or, or habits? Well, it's just, it's just fun to create new things. I view architecture as sculpture, and, it's, and I really like the fact that it's a big sculpture, that the space that you see in a sculpture and architecture, you can walk into, you can be surrounded by, you could, it could be expansive, it could be cramped, and all these things have great kind of psychological effects. And so I really like looking at architecture as as sculpture. And that's kind of, and that often leads me to do more sculptural things. On the flip side, then I say I always, you know, follow what my client wants. Once again, it isn't following, but it's always, I'll give them different options. Some of them may be real wild and some of them may be very traditional and we'll see what they like. And so, so it's, it's a fusion between my ideas and, but it's ultimately what they want. So the nice thing about my house is that I don't have a client telling me I can't do this and I don't have a contractor <laughs> saying we can't build that. And, you know, it's also nice to, Use your own hands and and see how materials, what they do and how they work. And so here we have a plaster ceiling, and I had to learn about plastering and casting, and and uh, it's a great material to use, but it's just not used in modern architecture. But but it was great to use it here. You know, it's 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 very fun. I mean, to do. Yeah, yeah. you said view architecture as sculpture. It's interesting. As a, I was at a gallery a couple of weeks ago, and they talked of. They, they spoke of, uh, there's a lot of paintings and then there's just a couple of sculptures. And I asked, you know, how, every time when we come here, there's always just a couple of sculptures. Why so few? Is it by mm-hmm. on purpose? And the proprietor says no, because there's not a lot of sculptures, and I, sculptors. And I went, really? Why not? And she's a painter. And she said, because it's really challenging. Mm-hmm. To do uh, to to do sculpture, you're especially if you're a painter, you're not sure you got to actually mold something that looks like that's nothing, and you got to create turn it into something. What's your take on that? Is it difficult yeah, compared um, to painting or with painting? Well, it depends. If if you're sculpting out of granite with a hammer and chisel, boy, that's <laughs> you know that's really hard on the body, you know. And 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 then even if you're using marble, much softer. But you know, it it takes a lot of work, and so the the sculpture I do is is much more easy. That I often use clay based sculpture. And the nice thing is that if you you know take off the nose, you can add it back on in clay. You know, so. <laughs> So it's a much quicker to, uh, okay. media, and it's much more forgiving to do. And, and uh, 
And then some of the sculpture I do, a friend of mine kind of developed this combination of clay and concrete and paper fiber, and then we can do larger pieces of, of sculpture that don't need to be fired. That's the kind of, you know, that you do only have so much time, so if you're going to pick a medium like that where it's going to take you, you know, Michelangelo, you know, spent year, at least a year probably on most of his projects, or probably more. And so I don't have time to do that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Michelangelo either. So <laughs> yeah. what he said was, it was interesting, and I don't know exa- the exact quote, but it, it, close to it, we'll come try to come close to it, is he said, you, how did you do the David statue? And he said, well, I just removed the excess. <laughs> I think it was... Irving Stone that wrote the book, The Agony and the Ecstasy. Not, don't quote me on that. A great book, but didn't know really about how sculptors work. I mean, Michelangelo loved this myth that he just kind of removed the excess. I mean, yeah. And, but if you look, we don't have records of what he did, but if you look at those ateliers and those workshops and Benin's work, they all did maquettes and models where they would do the same thing I'm talking about. You know, you do most of your work in the trash can. I mean, yeah. and so if you're going to spend a year and a half on something, you're going to do a study model. Now, you may not, as Michelangelo, admit that you did it, or, you know, <laughs> you'd love that we just kind of sculpted it out, you know, took off the excess. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm sure he did. I love that. Trash can is your best friend. This is a couple of times you mentioned that. Yeah, so yeah. I know it's a, a, an architect show, but let's talk about the trash can because <laughs> because most projects go there, do they yeah. not? Well, a lot of ideas go there. Okay, Ho- so how, hopefully, how, hopefully you, know, you don't do a lifetime of, of yeah. projects that never make it off the board. So. But how how so to have the mindset of saying your trash can is your best friend? Share with this, you know, some, just or at least come up. Yeah, with I'm not sure I can elaborate much more. Yeah, on that no, because, please. I, because I like otherwise, that. I'll become the architect that you know. The, the he trash. throws things in the trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you but know. it's 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 so relevant to actually how you be, you create what is a a marvel. You know, I'll, since I don't really have an answer to that I'll, I'll jump back a little bit okay. to just discover or design or create. You know, I mean, and so if, like on my house, often, you know, I'll. Take a look at plaster, and I'm, I'm, we're plastering the walls, and and then I want to look at what it can do, and so I'm kind of discovering what the material can do, and I'm ex- kind of experimenting with you know small maquettes or models about what to do, and, and there was kind of an amusing story. Since we've got 45 minutes, I'll tell it. <laughs> I, was, I was working um, with a dear friend that I call a crazy Indian. He's Apache and descent, and anyhow. I said, John, we've got to clean up. I've got a date. You know? And then I turn around and John <laughs> has put glue on the sheetrock. And I said, well, you know, John, you normally put the plaster over the wet glue. And he's like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I said, okay, well, let's experiment because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't. He goes, what are you going to do, boss? And I go, I have no idea. You know, so we're putting on the plaster and it's coming off the wall and it looks really <laughs> terrible. It's just, just awful. And trying to make it look maybe like Adobe or something. It just doesn't look very good. And then um, Johnny goes out to take out some tools and I finger paint on the wall this naked woman in the plaster. <laughs> And he comes in and he goes, wow, boss, that's great. And, and I, I said, John, you know, if we want a real one, we better tone it down. <laughs> really? So anyhow, that, 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 that was just kind of illustrated that I was just playing and, with the material and see what came out of it. And then when you look at the walls, my dining room, there's all these kind of swirls in the plaster and it's kind of three-dimensional. And yeah, that's, that's a perfect example of a kind of playing with something and then discovering what it'll do and then saying, oh, as a designer, I can utilize that. So that's how often that shows both. Yeah. How much of, is it on mistakes? Oh, let's take a break and we'll, we'll come right back to it. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. 
Comprehensive information on Bay Area classical music concerts can be found at the San Francisco Classical Voice website, sfcv.org. For daily, weekly, or monthly information on classical music concerts throughout the Bay Area, simply visit sfcv.org. We're talking today with Chris Ridgway, architect and principal of Chris Ridgway Architect, located in Half Moon Bay, California. For more information, feel free to visit www.crarchitect.net. That's www.crarchitect.net. Net, Chris, we're talking about the uh, story of how you know discovery, uh, part of it, the, the discovery and create. How about mistakes? Have you ever made a mistake? Oh, I'm sure you have. But Never, if you make no. a mistake and and it actually has turned, other than the story you told, that is actually turned into an actual potential practice, whether it's administrative or you or, know when I do watercolors, uh, frequently water first appears to have a mind of its own when you put it down and things creep and move and expand and and you know you kind of look for serendipity you know you kind of see what happened by accident and then maybe it'll inspire you to do something else so and so that can happen in a lot of cases where sometimes you're not even designing like you're traveling and you see something and then you go oh but if i did this to it then it's a whole new kind of idea so it's not a mistake but it's kind of often deconstructing things and putting them together in your imagination and see what comes out of it. Yeah. Do you have any story that, that may have happened, if you can recall, where like, oh, hey, let's... <laughs> I, I can't remember a time I jumped out of the bathtub and yelled, Eureka! You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, I... But yeah. Are there Eureka moments, though? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I, I remember asking one of my professors in college, well, how do you know when your design is good? And he goes, well... It's kind of like falling in love. When it happens, you know. And and so there is that kind of thing that you've been working so hard on something and you're trying and trying again and it doesn't work and that it's a little bit like hitting your head against a brick wall that when, <laughs> when you find the window that you put your head through, it doesn't hurt, that, that you're, you're euphoric, you know, <laughs> you know, because you've worked so hard. And, and the other thing is that um, often I will, before I get out of bed, I, I mean, I've got a good imagination. I'll redesign a building or do things to it that I would not have done when I was really conscious. And it's that kind of state between mm. being dreaming and being awake. And as a result, you you find new things that you, you wouldn't have found. And sometimes you're like, well, why did I work so hard when I wasn't even trying? I redesigned something so well. And the reality is it's almost like you have to put in all this programming into like your brain, a computer. And then after you have that, then you can shuffle things around in new ways that you may not have thought of. And, and the, that dream state kind of allows you to do that. Yeah. yeah. And is, is this on a continuous basis that this occurs? Or uh... Yeah, I don't get much sleep. <laughs> <laughs> on purpose? or uh, No, or, no uh... I mean, it, it does happen. The more you know, I'm working on something, then I kind of had a dream this morning I forgot about. <laughs> it, it there was a window I was looking at, and it was this curving building with that had shingles, and then the window had to curve in two directions, which is very hard to do. You can bend place class in one direction, but not two. And then in the dream, we just carried on the shingles as as plexiglass shingles. As a result, it can curve two different directions. And I didn't really remember that until you brought it up. So thanks. So, <laughs> sure. so I, guess, I guess it does happen. We you know, I, I'm I'm kind of really into what I do. And so, you know, I'm not 
really great to take vacations with because, you know. Yeah, why you not? Know, yeah. Well, because I want to stop and I want to draw something and somebody else is like, well, we're watching paint dry here, Chris, you know. And, <laughs> you know, so, so that's not true. I mean, I have a lot of fun with friends on vacations. But, but you, it is very inspiring because you see all these things when you, like if you go to Europe and then they're inspiring in themselves and then you bring something of yourself to it and often it's this kind of weird fusion between the two ideas that yields a, a whole other idea and that happens in a lot of fields with creativity that you talk to sciences, mm-hmm. uh, scientists or anything and that'll happen to them where they'll they'll get an idea by looking at uh, I can't remember the double helix what he was looking at or dreaming about when he looked at our DNA but he kind of saw that and, and then said oh well that Maybe that's the way it's done. You yeah. know what I mean? And sometimes you you just try plugging things in randomly almost, to, and then all of a sudden you see something that clicks and you, it's something more than the sum of the parts. So yeah. yeah. So you grew up in Southern California? I did. Yeah. How, how much did that have a play into even... Uh... You know, we're, we're real blessed. You know, I grew up, you know, in the very prosperous time and and all it's you know in california one of the most beautiful places in the world and we're all lucky to be here and and i'm lucky to be doing what i want to do and doesn't mean life doesn't have the challenges and stuff but but you appreciate what you had and you know i had great parents and so you know southern california was a little younger then a little less congested Uh, a little less yeah yeah I, i mean when i graduated from college I just couldn't go back to LA. And I like they have enough buildings. They don't need they don't need any more. You know, I mean. Yeah. So I, that's why I stayed up here. Yeah. What's your thought on speaking of the buildings that have enough? What's your thought on just when you go through a city or a community? Do you look and say, "Oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. Or could I have helped that?" I mean, mentally, I'm sure you do, but you gotta be a little careful because you can't just apply what you would do to design the world because there's a lot of other beautiful creative people and plus you can always pick things apart that you do them differently but you know certainly i'll see something and and as i mentioned earlier you know i grew up in this where everything was modern there's a kind of a little story i can tell about that i entered a design competition in monterey 15 years ago for designing economical housing something that's kind of near and dear to my heart that'd be nice as an architect to kind of do something that would help besides the rich clients that you have. Anyhow, I wasn't one of the winners, except they had the public come and vote on what they liked the best. And I won that overwhelmingly. So it was interesting because I did these kind of picturesque houses and, but all everything else the, that was selected was flat roofed, modern glass modular. And I realized that I was mistaken that I didn't have a client. My client was a jury and the jury was, these older architects in the 60s, that's what they did. And so it's kind of, you know, that's logic that they would, they would try to yeah. think that's the way to go. And anyhow, I had one of the architects comes after, after me after the meeting and, and he congratulates me in kind of this backhanded way about congratulations for winning <laughs> and stuff. And then I, I had actually had gable roofs, you know, which is, Foreboden in a lot of modern architecture, yeah. holds up his hands in this little teepee and he says, why do you think the public wants these little, he doesn't say ticky-tacky, but these little, you know, gable roofs? And I said, well, why do you think that is? I kind of turned around and he goes, well, you know, I think they've been brainwashed. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, either that or you could send a generation of architects to school. Oh, <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> so, well, he was pretty, he was being pretty insulting. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, I'm not sure he got it and how well I put it, you know, I mean, but, but anyhow, I mean, 
there's a lot of modern architects that I really love, like Aero Saarinen and things that were doing really creative things in the early 60s. And fortunately, Aero died young. And so there was, and there's Nervi in Italy that was doing these beautiful vaults and stuff. And, and then, you know, it was just kind of overtaken by this idea of doing economical boxes that, that, that everybody could fit in the same mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So just to, to lay that down is to go to architecture school. Oh, my goodness. Well, so it, was, it was just a period yeah. of time where, you know, there, there was a time when architecture, it was almost religious that if you didn't follow the dogma, if you didn't follow this form, follows function in the strictest sense, and if you didn't use that vocabulary, you weren't being honest and that you weren't using materials honestly, if you weren't using concrete and, and then left it, you know, the form marks on it, or then you weren't really expressing that material. And so there, there, was, there was a time, I hate to be so negative, where architects forgot to look at their buildings and they just knew they were great. Yeah. Oh. I mean, so now that I've insulted half my life. <laughs> no. But that, that was also... Oh, we want the honesty. That's true. that's true when I was a kid. That was true of 50s and 60s and... Those cities that were most heavily impacted by that, they kind of show it. I mean, yeah. So. Do you ever have, have you ever had a client or even people come up to you and say, hey, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do. And just say, I say great. <laughs> <laughs> I have ideas. <laughs> has that, ha- has, has that often or has it even happened where they said, look, every, I- everybody's different and you, okay. and you just follow, you know, some people, I've worked out this floor plan and, you know, I've got it. And other people say, well, you're the expert. And so, it's back to the idea that you generate a lot of ideas and then you find out what they really like. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of this this uh, quote here? You must not ever stop being whimsical and you must not ever give anyone else the responsibility for your life by Mary Oliver Wild Geese. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, we all have that kind of fun, childlike side of us and it's easy to live a tough life and have that kind of you know, have to be backseat, but it is, you know, it's part of our nature as humans to have fun and love. And, and that's one of the really great things. And it's not always easy. I mean, as I say, we're very lucky to be in a place that we can probably do a lot of that. Yes. What would you recommend if you, if you're, if you're at liberty to share us to an aspiring architect, whether they're a child, you know, I, 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 80 years old and want to become one. Right. I think, you know, learning to draw and making models and those things, doing that and having a fun time doing it is, is kind of what I'd recommend. There's going to be plenty of time to, to learn mechanics and materials and different things, and, and there's a lot to learn. But, you know, find what you're passionate about. Find out if you really are passionate about it, and then go ahead. Then you can learn the other stuff later. Yes. The 20-year... <laughs> You go back to some of the notes here. You you took you almost sounds like it took twenty years to find out that it's worth the next twenty. No, is that a reach? I I knew that young that I wanted to be an architect, and and I and I was designing things since I was ten. Now they they matured and were better, but it isn't like (laughs) I spent twenty years to get to where I wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you do you think it's a calling, or just from the from your contemporaries? Do you think it's a calling, or can you back into it? I think different people have different journeys and did, you know, I would hate to say my path is the path to go on. So, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I've kind of always known what I wanted to do. 
and it was very fortunate. But I'm sure there's a lot of brilliant people and a lot of brilliant things that you know, went through college just trying to figure out what they wanted to do and then they got into it and they became brilliant at it, you know, yeah. so. How do you continue to to keep learning so much? Because it seems like I know you're, you're not a young kid, but, but there's, <laughs> a, there's a youthfulness to you. Oh, and, and to kind of what do you owe that to if you wanted to, and I'm putting you on the spot for it, but what would you kind of owe that sort of childlikeness, even though you've got the experience? You know, in, a, a, little, a little bit. It is like playing. Um, right behind you is a series of blocks, some that I did and some that, I, that are just oh, yeah. offcast from, from, from woodworking projects. And it, it really, design often really is play. You know, and, and it's playing with forms and it's, and it's changing around. And, and, and the more you can kind of play with it, the more fun you'll have and, and the more fun things that you'll probably create. And you, you talk to a little kid, you know, and you say, well, what do you want? Well, I want to slide out of my room to go, cool, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, you know they, 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 that's their, they're approaching that with that kind of play. Yeah. 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 Do you ever meet any clients that are like that? <laughs> or at least have that sort of uh Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean uh, that sort of playfulness to say, Yeah, I'd yeah. like a slide right out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> We've done some fun some fun houses. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is it mostly in the state California or uh, Yeah, most of it in California. Yeah. Yeah. How about any other states? Have you ever even talked with any uh, other architects to you know get your ideas or your input or your You know uh, take I, I I would be neat to design a house in a different climate, in a different area, and the, and so much of that determines architecture. So if you're designing in Hawaii, then you're going to want a house with a lot of ventilation, so it might be very open, and then you, you might, you know, the design might be very open and flow through. And so it'd be, it's fun to design in different areas. Every site is different, but it'd be it'd be fun to, to do that. On the other hand, you got to get it built, and if you're not there, you know, that, that and to meet with the contractor and make sure he's doing it right, it is kind of handy to, to have it close by. Excellent. You're listening to the Modern Architect Radio Show on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The Native American Rights Fund, NARF, is a nonprofit organization that provides legal representation and technical assistance to Indian tribes, organizations, and individuals nationwide. This constituency often lacks access to the justice system. NARF focuses on applying existing laws and treaties to guarantee that national and state governments live up to their legal obligations. To find out more, visit NARF on the web at narf.org. I think as a designer, it's very tempting, tempting to sit down with a piece of paper and you start to draw a line. And in that second that you've done that, you've made all these assumptions. You've assumed the floor is flat. You've assumed the wall is vertical as you've done a line. You've assumed that uh, it's straight. And then the second line you draw is perpendicular. And in two seconds, you decide that you're going to do a rectilinear design, and you don't even know it. You know, um, So that, that's something I think that you really need to kind of push yourself to, to get out of those kind of ruts. So and the other thing is that we live in this really interesting age uh, of digital, you know, and I love the fact that we can model our buildings and look at them three-dimensionally and we can look at them for any angle and stuff. But when I grew up, we had to draw by hand. And I think this younger generation, as I hire them, it's a problem um, because if you design, you can put down a thought real quick with pen to paper and, as I say, put it aside and try something different. So if you spend all this time trying to input all this data, uh-huh. you get kind of married to the design because you spent so long doing it. And so, you know, I'm, I feel really lucky that I've learned to draw by hand 
and I can visualize my mind, and that um, you know I have all those things to kind of draw from. And I'm, so I'm not knocking what digital um, world we live in. I'm so glad we don't have to race all that and try to move it over and finally have to get a new yeah. piece of paper and stuff. But I do think that uh, you were asking earlier about young people, and I would think I think you think drawing and perspective drawing and be able to generate quick ideas is essential that, that when you have that interface between you and the computer, it's just a little longer and it's a little more limiting. And so, you know, if I was giving advice to somebody, I'd say, yes, learn all the digital stuff. It's, you, know, you won't get a job without it. <laughs> it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be fantastic that you can borrow things from other projects and you can change the scale of them and you can stretch them and you can move them. But still, don't get so enamored with that. That, that you kind of miss this basic tool that's really just using your, your brain, a piece of paper and a pen, you know. So anyhow, I'd give that a little bit of advice. So Excellent. that's your bonus. That there, yeah. That's your bonus exercise. I think we probably filled up your time. Chris, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you. On Vice the versa. Show. Thank I, you. It's hope, been an honor being on. Thank I you hope so you consider time. coming back to uh, coming back with us in the future. Great. Thank okay. you. You've been listening to the Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Chris Ridgeway, architect and principal located in Half Moon Bay, California. Chris has been in um, practice since 1984 and has designed well over 250 buildings in the Bay Area and is a University of California Berkeley graduate and, a, of course, licensed architect with projects throughout the San Francisco Bay Area and California. For more information, feel free to visit www.crarchitect.net. That's crarchitect.net. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and today on location in Half Moon Bay, California, and it is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, chief engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diaro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.